You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. To help make sense of these topics, we sit down with thought leaders and do what we do best at the Conference Board, provide trusted insights for what's ahead. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this series. And in today's conversation, we're going to talk about Gen Z. Gen Z workers are expected to represent nearly a third of the workforce in just a couple of years. And as U.S. job openings continue to reach historic highs, businesses urgently need this generation in their workforce. But how can businesses attract and hold on to these workers? Because they are different. What makes them different from other generations? We're going to talk today about with Robin Erickson, who is the Vice President of Human Capital here at the Conference Board. Robin, welcome. Thanks so much for having okay, me. Okay, so we got to start with, what the heck is Gen Z? <laughs> well, funny you should ask that, because there actually is some disagreement about when Generation Z starts. And there are multiple years that people use to indicate Gen Z. But the Bureau of Labor Statistics defines Gen Z as those people who were born in 1997 or later. And that makes the oldest Gen Zer, or Zoomer as they like to be called, just 26 years old today. Wow. Well, there is a new generation after Gen Z, which I've heard has been christened Generation Alpha, which is 2010. You know, this whole generation thing, it's, in, it's interesting. The greatest generation started in the early part of the 20th century. Of course, they're the ones that started it. So they named themselves the greatest generation. It's always interesting to be the namer of these things. But then you had the traditionalists and the baby boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, and then Gen Alpha. Well, it shows you how 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 we're not getting very creative. And I'm just happy it's not Generation Alpha Alpha, <laughs> like it would be an Excel. Well, but it, it is interesting that, you know, it's the greatest generation who started all this and named everybody, which is... Uh, um, I guess that's par for the course. But anyway, okay, so Gen Z is the is really the the newest workforce um, generation, if we think about it that way. And so very important generation. You recently did a report on uh, Gen Z workers, what motivates them and so forth. How did you study them? Well, we know there's a lot being written about Gen Z. All you have to do is open up your news feed, pick, pick the one you like. But our study was distinctive because it focused on communicating directly with over 100 Gen Z employees, full-time workers, and by addressing both hourly and knowledge workers. We had a 40-60 split and 40% hourly workers and 60% knowledge workers. And trust me, it was much easier to find knowledge workers to connect with. But we also sought the views of CHROs about this generation. Yeah, and it, and it is interesting. It's just so nice to be talking about Gen Z because we've been talking about millennials for what? Almost a generation. At least 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like, it. okay, so why is it so important that employers focus on this, on, on this newest generation in the workforce? Well, the first is, as you said, Gen Zers are going to represent over 30% of the workforce in just a couple of years. And so they're plentiful. Despite the global economic showdown, our 2023 C-suite outlook, reports that attracting and retaining talent is still the number one internal issue of C-suite executives. And so it's really important that employers think about Gen Z 
when they are trying to fill empty positions. But I have even better news than that, even better than they're plentiful, I think. We all know that Gen Zers are technologically savvy because we've all asked them to help us with our devices or our computers or our soundboards or our modems or our routers. But because they're used to continually evolving technology platforms, they're not change resistant. And so when organizations are thinking about trying to find change adopters, right? There's a, that's actually a term in change management to find your champions, your change champions and the people who would be early adopters. Gen Z are really terrific at being interested in doing that. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're entering the workforce. So, you know, whenever, you know, you, you and I have been doing this for a long time and we've seen multiple generations enter the workforce, mature in the workforce and so forth. Um, you know, from your experience, how much of what we are experiencing with Gen Z is unique to the generation and how much of it is just that this is what the newest generation is usually like in the workforce? So I actually think that Gen Z is different than other workforces at this stage of their career. When you and I first got our job, it might have been through a newspaper posting. And today, that's not how people find jobs. They find it through job boards and uh, and online. But Gen Zers are the first truly digital natives. So what does that mean? It means they've grown up completely within the digital era. They have no memory of a time without smartphones, apps, search engines, laptops, or online global connections. They they know how to connect with each other. The They've actually become the influencer generation. And so they have a Yeah, but you know, do, do they know how to use an abacus in a slide rule? I mean, that's you know, this is this is the thing. <laughs> they probably don't know how to use the slide rule, but uh it's it's really interesting. I I think they are much faster at learning how to learn and finding out information. Anyway, I I think that Gen Z is truly different. They are uh the most diverse generation that we've had. In fact, they are less than half white for the first time in the US that we have a generation that's less than half white. And uh, I think that, you know, we need to be aware that Gen Z is approaching work and life in a different way, in part because they've just gotten through a really tumultuous time, right? With three years of the COVID pandemic, we've got global unrest and economic issues. <laughs> I, I think I think Gen Z's they're they're at a really interesting stage that, that perhaps other generations that we aren't as familiar with haven't gone. Yeah, through. I mean this is a really important point because um, you know they're a product of what they've experienced so far, and what they've experienced so far has been you know all these black swan events, which are sort of one in a lifetime, unpredictable, weird events. But that's been their entire <laughs> that's been their entire Correct. career so far. So the whole thing's been weird for them. Well, and most of them have finished their education. Think about it. If the oldest is 26, most of them finished their educations under lockdowns or having to be remote. So I definitely think that this is a different generation. And we found that in our study. Yeah, and in well. generations, of course, you know, anytime that you're, you know, you, you know, you're trying to summarize a generation or generalize, it's it's wrong, um, you know, so but. But, you, but there are some characteristics that you pointed out, and, and they, there is a shared experience here, which makes the generation different because every generation has a different shared experience, I guess, right? Definitely. Yeah. Even those of us in Generation X who are the smallest, the smallest generation out there. Yeah. You know, that's uh, that, that it's interesting, you know, but it does say, though, 
that leader, business leaders, managers, HR people, I mean, you need to understand what the generation has experienced in order to then a relate to them, but also though to engage them and to, you know, to help them in the workforce. Talk about that challenge. So um, I definitely think that employers should be concerned about uh, Gen Z and look at what motivates them and influences them, especially because when it comes to retaining Gen Zers, the Gen Zers are willing to job hop. We have to also remember that in addition to all of those Black Swan events you mentioned, they've also been, many of them, or most of them have been working during a time of great labor shortages, right? We had the great resignation. We still have labor shortages today, despite uh, increasing inflation and economic uncertainty. But uh, Gen Zers have very high expectations uh, for the workplace and for where they want to work, and they'll seek new opportunities. Um, they're not, they don't think it's a stigma to job hop. And so they want their employers to provide growth and development, and they're skeptical of organizations that have statements of values and missions without any action behind them. Um, and we can't forget that switching jobs is really easy for many workers right now because there's a lot of open positions, but it's also very easy to put your resume out there and send out, you know, 20 resumes in an hour if you want to. Like that, that is another difference too, you know, of, of this generation and what they expect. Well, and there's so much remote and hybrid work that they, it doesn't require a move across the country or across the city. They can you know, they can do it from where they are, switch jobs, make more money. So the whole thing is much more fluid than it used to be. Oh, that's definitely true. I mean, we found that uh, wanting flexibility um, was definitely one of the highlights of our study. I mean, one of the things that Gen Zers themselves say that they have to have. But you know what, you know, in, in my discussions with uh, many of our Gen Z workers, they say, you know, I, I've got to move because... That's how I build skill sets and experiences, and that's how I learn. And that's not the way previous generations thought about, you know, career development. You know, it wasn't that you had to learn uh, by moving companies. It was that you you had different experiences within a company. Talk about that. I think that um, many companies. I mean, we all know that there once upon a time, the pen, so the pendulum has shifted once upon a time, it was all in-person learning. And you remember that when it was all in-class learning and we would go to classes together and sit there and then the pendulum switched in organizations, went all the way to the other direction to all online learning. And then I think the, our learning and development folks realized there wasn't as much ROI there, but the issue is, is that many organizations haven't made their career paths clear. So Gen Zers don't see a path forward in terms of new skills. They, they also want to be promoted quickly. They also want to move quickly. They, they think they've mastered something and want to move on. And I think in the past, there was more of an expectation that employees would, you know, quote unquote, put their time in um, or spend longer at a job than, than I think Gen Zers are willing to do. Yeah. And, I, you know, there, there clearly is value to going through a few cycles, you know, and, and, uh, and sitting through that and, and you learn something in each case. But, but you know, so there's, there's some of it that is just, you know, this is just what the generation expects. Some of it is just that they live in social media. They've got perfect communication, real time. And so it's just like, you're, this is what you're supposed to do. 
Um, it doesn't make it right or wrong, but it is a challenge for businesses to think through that. And as you said, it's a communication challenge, but it's also a reality challenge in trying to build uh, experiences, right? Definitely. And I think that it also uh, underscores the need for internal mobility or talent mobility, which is organizations focusing on rather than bringing in new employees, they should be focusing on reskilling their employees on teaching them how to learn new skills um, as, as, as the world evolves. Yeah. And, and it means being deliberate about it because, you know, in the olden days, in the old world, it was a very hierarchical organization modeled after the military. And there were a lot of steps in there and in, in today's flatter world and, and so forth, there isn't, you have to be as an employer and as, as, as business leaders, we need to be more deliberate about saying, you know, we got to recognize people and part of recognition is title, part of recognition is different experiences. And so, you know, we, you can either sit and rail against that as the attitude, or you can say, well, let's adapt to that. And it seems to me that adapting is the more important attribute. Especially if you're trying to retain employees. But let me tell you, it's also really effective when you're trying to attract employees. If they hear that they have career paths that are you know, laid out with skill development along the way, I think new, I think candidates will be more interested in joining. Yeah. In, you know, in, in, in all of our study, human capital studies too, and, you know, especially the studies that focus on engagement, it's about how people feel, right. And, and whether they think that employers care about them and that comes back down, not to, there isn't a company caring person, you know, it's, it's, it's their direct supervision. And so, we really have to spend time teaching managers who may not have grown up in this kind of mindset, but teaching them to be empathetic and, and demonstrating, not just saying, but demonstrating that they care. Could not agree more. And I think we should write a report about that. <laughs> it feels like we have. <laughs> we, uh, no, but so now let's, you know, let's come back after a short break and, and talk about, you know, what we do about it and what are the responsibilities of, of Gen Z. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the conference board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. Membership at the Conference Board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a Conference Board member today by visiting www conference-board.org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Robin Erickson from the Human Capital Center here at the Conference Board. And we're talking about Gen Z. Let's go back to your study because this, this new study that you've just come out with is very interesting. Uh, you talked about five things that are essential. You know, maybe you could summarize that for us. Sure. Well, the number one thing that was most important for Gen Z employees was that many are concerned about their ability to afford the basic necessities and worry that they won't be able to afford to buy a house. And so they are very concerned about compensation and pay transparency. 
the fact that they also share salaries freely among themselves in person and online. It's very easy to go online and find reviews of organizations and salaries. So, I mean, we, we, you also know that one of the trends with Gen Z is that many are living at home and in many places or for many of them, it's to save money. And then many of them are also looking for new jobs that provide more financial security for them. So I think that that goes back to my point earlier about Gen Zers being willing to job hop. I think right now organizations are, are having a hard time because with job shortages, it's very difficult to continue to pay new employees more unless you're going to go back and pay your old employees at the same level. Yeah. And this pay transparency thing, of course, is the law in, in you know, most areas now too. The benefits, of course, are that, you know, it, it, it provides job seekers and, and those who hold the same jobs in a company, it, it provides hope, hopefully more understanding and theoretically more fairness. There is a flip side to it though, too. And that is that by doing that, you have to provide a big enough range because there are there are people who have, you know, greater skill sets and greater experience who therefore demand and and I don't want to use the term deserve, but you know, um, have you know higher levels of pay. And then there are people on whom you take risks in a company that that may not have the experience or or the skill sets, and but you know you you don't value them the same, and so. There needs to be, I, I guess it needs to be a, a shared understanding that there, there is a range, there's a reason for the range, and that range is okay. I think the range is important, but I also think that it's important to make sure that it's equitable across new employees and existing employees. Yeah. Now, you know, this the, the generation also wants more flexibility. And part of that is, again, as you said earlier, um, based on the experience that they've had so far coming up through the pandemic and going to 100% remote, they, in their minds, they, you know, they've proven that can work. And so why would you have to do anything else? But what they don't know is what they're missing from, you know, and a more an in-office or a more social in, environment with all the, um, you know, the, the informal learning and, and mentoring and all those types of things. How do you, how should employers and leaders make that point and you know how do you how do you how do you engage this group to understand the benefits of at least some uh interaction well i think the good news is is that most gen zers that we spoke to actually do want some in-person interaction and i think that it just needs to be planned or structured in such a way that uh people don't go into the office where there's no one there um, and, and then say, well, there's, there's no reason to go in. Right. Or they go into the office and then they're on zoom calls all day. Um, and so they have to be, you know, shut up. So I just, I think that it's important to think of the office as, uh, you know, the new offsite in terms of when people are coming in, what are you providing? What's the, you know, what are the, uh, I don't want to say incentives, but uh, how are you going to keep them from having to be on calls all day. And one of the things I've done with my team of Gen Zers is to request that they're all in the office on the same day every week, uh, at least one, you know, one day that they're all there together and that they are co-locating to learn from each other, to work together and to learn from each other. Yeah, no, it has to be planned. It can't just be left random. You know, Yogi Berry used to have a saying that, uh, oh, that place is too crowded. So nobody goes there anymore. But it's, uh, you know, it's almost the reverse <laughs> with the office now. Nobody's there, so nobody nobody wants to come. And, uh, 
you know, it needs to be some, so you, so you can't just leave it to happenstance. It's your point. You have to. Right. Yep. And I'm not trying to say it has to be fun all the time. I'm just saying it has to be planned and structured and, um, and, and some thought to go into it. And it's interesting because we, there was no thought about remote work before COVID hit. If you think about it uh, back to, uh, you know, March of 2020, um, no one had stepped back and said, what would happen if a pandemic came through and we all had to go to our homes and never leave? Well, that'll never happen. That, that's yeah. a black swan event. It'll never happen. And yeah. Exactly. We don't, we don't have to spend any time thinking about it. But now the reverse is true. Now we do need to think about how are we going to make the most of, of our offices? But, you know, it's so much of it's now hybrid. And I think that that's that's, you know, we've written about that at the conference board that hybrid is probably here to stay in some, you know, in some balance. But it it doesn't mean it means that we need to be more deliberate about planning what work is done remotely and what work is done in it together, because you can't when you come to the office and you're just sitting on, as you said, on Zoom meetings, you know, or, or doing what. You, you know, you're you're behaving in a remote fashion in the office or you're trying to do, you know, sole contributor kind of work. You're trying to write a report or you're trying to get something done and people keep interrupting you. That doesn't work. On the other hand, it's hard to socialize when you're sitting at home um, staring at the computer. So it really it really calls for more of a I don't know. This is oversimplification, but a bifurcation of work and, and a, a deliberate planning of what goes on when you're remote and what goes on when you're together. And this is a challenge for leaders. I think, especially for managers, I think that we need to make sure that our managers know how to help their teams plan for these types of uh, interactions. You know, what work happens at remotely and what work happens in the office. I think we need to be asking our managers to to plan for We've that. We've been talking a lot about, uh, you know, in office, and that's only one aspect of the workforce because, you know, really, it's a minority of the workforce that works in the office. But you did talk to hourly workers who are out there um, doing non-office kind of work. How did you hear? What What did you hear from the hourly workers? It was different. So the imperative that we found from the Gen Zers in general was to give them more control. And for the knowledge workers, it was flexibility, which we've just been talking about. But for the hourly workers, it meant having some say in the shifts that were assigned to them and knowing that their shifts well in advance so they could plan for personal commitments. Because what's been happening is with the labor shortages, many hourly workers are being expected to drop everything and take on additional shifts, um, or they're being told their schedule just a couple days in advance. And so it's really hard to have a life, it's hard to plan. And so we, we found that really they want uh, some more control about when when they work. That's very interesting. You know, the. Um... It, it it comes back to this, you know, we said it so many times, this the manager training and being, and so it, it feels to me like, you know, the senior leadership of these companies need to think through how to teach the managers to engage differently based on the needs and the differences um, in today's world and and to do things differently than we did at, call it pre, pre-pandemic, right? I mean, so that's that's a... That's a big, that's a big change. It is a big change and it's a lot of responsibility. And we're finding that, um, you know, as you've done podcasts with Rebecca Ray on burnout, there's increasing burnout, both with employees and with leaders. So I think 
we, we need to get smart quickly about how can we try to help our managers deal with some of these things so that there's less burnout. Yeah, and the burnout, the whole burnout thing is 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 a as you said, it's a whole fascinating subject because it's you know, it's people trying to work remotely and trying to balance life and work, whereas before they were in separate places and you can you could you could separate them. Now it kind of mushes together and they can't get away from either one of them ever. And it's driving people nuts. So it's it comes back to helping people, you know, training and helping people say it's okay to park. You know, you get your not only it's okay, it's required that you park the work and you don't do it and you don't look at it, you know, 24-7. And that you create, you know, you create that that separation in your in you know on your own that used to be physical. But but it's also these little devices that I'm holding up, this little smartphone, because you can do work 24-7 on vacation on the weekends. And I think that it's it's not just the the issues of remote versus you know not not having a distinction between work and uh, life. I think it's it's also just that the technology has made working twenty four seven possible. So what so what's your advice to you know to managers and and you know higher level leaders in terms of how to drive engagement with Gen Z workers? Oh, very very interesting. Um, few things. Um, one of the other imperatives that we found was around uh, the concerns that Gen Zers have around staying safe and well. It's not surprising given everything they've been through uh, with uh, COVID and all those other Black Swan events we were talking about. They're very concerned about mental health. Um, and in fact, sadly, I have a statistic here uh, that almost half of Gen Zers are reporting that they are anxious or depressed all the time. And so, uh, you know, they're very aware of that. That is that is really depressing. Well, it is. But, you know, the other issue is, is that emotional uh, coping maturity, I'm, I'm sure that's not the correct psychological term for it, but with age comes the ability to cope, right, with more maturity. And so these are really young people who, you know, haven't had that opportunity hey. And, and so, it's real. It, this and it's real. Yeah, this is the important point. I think for 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 older workers, it's it's like, well, you know, snowflakes. You know, you eat the people. You know, yada yada. It's real for them. So therefore, if it's real for them, then it's incumbent upon leaders to deal with that reality. You know, whether or not you agree with it or experience it, you have to be empathetic because if you're going to engage those people, you you have to deal with what's real for them. Yeah. Right. Well, and think about it. If almost half of your employees, um, or at least half of your Gen Z employees, are anxious or depressed, they're not. You're not going to get the best out of them for their work either. So that's one thing that I think it's one way that organizations can help uh, engage Gen Zers. I think they can. I think Gen Zers are also really interested in wanting to have opportunities to grow. And we talked about this earlier in terms of how do you keep a Gen Zer engaged? Well, if they they think that they can grow. That that's another reason that they would stay, right? And to be motivated. So a lot of this, you know, I, you, you may disagree, but it, it, as I think about it, a lot of this comes down to basic communication. It comes down to communication from the top in terms of what's the mission of the organization, walking that talk. It comes down to communication and training. We, you know, human capital experts call it upskilling, uh, a training, however you... The point is, you have to you have to in, enable your leaders and your managers to deal with this. And then there's the, the communication training 
of the Gen Zers themselves to, you know, to provide some context and help them understand and, and grow. I mean, can I, is that an oversimplification, Robin? I don't think it is, especially because you touched on our fifth imperative uh, with for Gen Zers, which was that they care about purpose and values. And it's, they, they, they can see, right? I mean, we're all getting pretty good at figuring out who's phishing us, right? Or who's spamming us. And, you know, we know if messages are written from the heart, um, if, if they're real. And so I think that, you know, many of the Gen Zers we spoke to said that they would leave a job if their values didn't align with those of their employer. And that that's interesting. That, that was not the case when you and I first started working, Steve. Yeah, it was more monolithic at that point. It was very monolithic and you would never question the authority, yeah. right? Final thoughts, Robin? Who, uh, I, as I said earlier, I think one of the most exciting things about Gen Z is that they're not resistant to change. And so I think that trying to uh, attract and retain them, I think it comes down to figuring out what motivates them, what incents them. And uh, I think our report does just that. And it, I'm hoping we'll we'll find is a uh, is is very useful for organizations as they're trying to think about how can they fill some of their talent gaps. Yeah, with all the dangers of generalization and realizing that everybody's different within every generation. <laughs> exactly, and 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 the thing is, is that when you do offer programs, you can't just offer them to the yeah. Gen Zers. I mean, in our report, we talk about what different organizations are doing you know, with some of their programs that are attractive to Gen Z, but they're not just offering those to the Gen Z employees because you can't do that. You have to offer them to all of your employees and assume that what's good for Gen Z is going to be good for the other generations yeah, as well. Great points. Robin Erickson, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks to all of you for listening into CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover leading topics in human capital, geopolitics, economics, and more. Please share CEO perspectives with your colleagues, including all of your Gen Z colleagues, because I know they're going to want to listen. I'm Steve Odlin, and this podcast has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.